am Ken. And I'm Dee. And here with us are our guests, Daniel. Hello. And John. Hi. Here to tell us all about the wonderful world of Magic the Gathering. We've gathered you here to discuss magic. I'm going to kill you. Because you may have heard recently that a certain Magic the Gathering card went at auction for half a million dollars, which is rather a lot of money. I double-checked. The sale went through, has been finalized. It was an Aquino twin situation. (laughs) So I think the first question on everyone's mind is, what is Magic the Gathering? Well, uh, Magic the Gathering is a trading card game. It's been out since 1993, and essentially uh, you sort of just play the part of like a powerful wizard trying to kill other powerful wizards. (laughs) And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like fantasy stuff in it, you know, throw some like giant spiders and, you know, trolls and whatnot at uh, your friends, spells, etc. And uh, notably, it's, it's probably one of the most popular trading card games on the market. There are a lot of others that like either imitate it or crib on it in some way, but... In fact, in uh, preparing for this question, I found out that there's actually a patent for the trading card game method of play, which is held by Wizards of the Coast. Or no at least way, was. really? Yeah, it's true. Literally invented. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Invented it. <laughs> um, I think originally Richard Garfield, the dude that made magic originally, submitted for the patent, but I think maybe Wizards held it. And if you're asking yourself, like, Richard Garfield, wow, is he related to 20th president James Garfield? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's his great-great-grandson. I was actually thinking, wonder if he was related to Andrew Garfield. So, yeah. uh, you know. Which <laughs> was way dumber. So it is a trading card game, which means to play it, you are buying packs of what 15 to 20 booster cards it's a random pack of cards yeah traditionally it's a it's a 16 card booster or a 15 card booster pack that has like cards of several different rarities there'll be a bunch of ones that are common several that are uncommon and generally only one that is rare or mythic rare yeah, and all these rules kind of change over time. The game's been out forever, so, yeah. you know, every set there might be a weird wrinkle with this where, like, there might be, like, a super special, cool, extra thing that only one in a hundred packs has or something similar to that. So probably anything we say has exceptions uh, <laughs> when it comes to that sort of thing. But, yeah, for the most part. And then, Welcome to collectibles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's, like, you know, new formats come out and they'll have, like, a pre-constructed sort of thing. The first Magic deck I ever played was a pre-constructed deck from Tempest, so it was 1997, you know, that I bought at a store for like $10, 60 cards, you know, some person put it all together beforehand, so there are kind of wrinkles to that, but for the most part, 15 card packs, like randomized stuff in there. So what would make a particular Magic card worth 500,000 human dollars? Like, spoiler, that's a lot more than most things. I think that actually outstrips the last five big-name comic auctions, all of them falling under 400000 And that's a tough market to outstrip. I think any card over $75 is technically worth more than its weight in gold. Because um, <laughs> a card is 1.8 grams, I believe. So, depending on the market. But most cards don't go for that much. But there is a, a select set of, of cards that do. John, do you want to go into yes. what makes a card valuable? I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm presuming that the card that sold for that much money was a Black Lotus. It was the Correct. Black Lotus, Yeah, yes. so uh, Black Lotus is, like, pretty notorious... It kind of hits a lot of points in like the like sort of list I put together of like what makes a card like valuable. So obviously like the condition of something matters. I'm sure that that Black Lotus was probably uh, imprisoned in one of those little cases and professionally graded <laughs> with like a fancy number on it. And um, that adds like tremendously to the value. There is the competitiveness of a card. So a Black Lotus is like really strong, like fast resources and magic is really, really powerful. Um, So that's kind of like the OG, like strong card, like, you know, look out, this guy's got a Black Lotus. Um, Because like with every turn in Magic the Gathering, you're putting out more land cards, which give you more mana with which to cast bigger and more impressive spells. Yeah. So with every turn that passes, you have more of that resource to draw on to play more and more powerful cards, whereas... 
the Black Lotus, you could, in theory, play it, like, on your first turn and yeah. immediately have access to how many lands? Yeah, Black Lotus, you sacrifice it for three mana, so it's like, yeah, usually you're putting down one per turn. Again, there's exceptions to everything, but Black Lotus is like, I want three right now. Like, let's go, get moving, which is, like... Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. It's sort of like from the early days where they didn't have all of their design kind of fleshed out fully. So doing something like that's like a little strong. (laughs) (laughs) Availability as well. A Black Lotus is very rare. I'm sure that this was an alpha Black Lotus. So it's the first set ever. You know, there's probably only a select number of them out there and they're not making any more. It's yeah, it's very rare. It's strong. And then I guess the last sort of thing that I have here is novelty. So a Black Lotus is like pretty well known to be like the most expensive magic card. Maybe not like, you know, general population of people, but magic has a lot of players. And I would wager that a good number of them knows that like knows about the Black Lotus. Like it kind of has like a notoriety to it. You know, there are other cards that kind of get away with costing a lot of money just based on these things. Something that comes to mind is like, all Hollow's Eve costs a bunch of money. There are other cards that do the same thing, but like they're not all named after like the undisputed heavyweight champion of the best holiday <laughs> like season. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. That's all just for the spooky qualities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know the other cards that do that kind of thing don't have like a spooky jack o' lantern on them. So get out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Building off of that, could art influence a card's rarity or value? It certainly could. Certain artists, especially recently, uh, they've been doing like special edition series where they highlight certain artists. So, you know, there are certain cards that are have a special art because they're a promo card. There are only a few like in circulation. Or, you know, there are certain artists like uh, Rebecca Guay or... Therese Nielsen. I was going to say Therese Nielsen. Yeah. Is anyone going to mention Therese Nielsen? Yeah, she's Because her cards are already, like, going up in price since they just, like, cut contact with her. Wait, what? She sucks. Um, Without getting, like, too into it. Ah. She she sucks. She got caught sucking out loud in Magic magic of the Wizard Coast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They severed her contract. They're not reprinting cards with her art. They're going to, like, recommission it if they ever reprint the cards. So she's off. She's out. So those have officially become scarce now. Yeah, Ah. they've done some cleaning house recently with, like, cards that they don't want to be associated with magic anymore, uh, like, for that reason or, you know, because of the card's implications. Or even just, like, association. Like, I mean, like, Crusade is one, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Jihad. No no more of that one, no. I think maybe we should... Like, you know, things that they don't want to, uh, you know, when a kid is telling their grandma about magic, whatever, you know, they don't want them to see, you know, specific, uh, you know, I don't know. I remember uh, there was sort of like a, almost like a satanic panic, like back in the day, because there's like a card, like (laughs) Unholy Strength, had like a pentagram in the background, and then they reprinted it without the pentagram, because, you know, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Would the version with the pentagram still in the background be worth more, though? Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure is, isn't Demonic Tutor the same? I was going to bring up Demonic, Demonic Tutor, Tutor, I believe, went through the same satanic thing. Yeah, I think he has a pentagram on his forehead or something. And oh, then did they, 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 dis, they took it out? I believe so. Oh, okay. Um, or, like, maybe maybe it's a good time to, like, explain how cards come into the market or, like, how cards, like, get reprinted. Yeah. So every year since Magic's inception, they release, traditionally they've been called blocks of sets. They'll have, like, a thematic overarching narrative I'm not sure what the first few were because they were still kind of finding their footing, but eventually they tried to incorporate like a story that was told either through the art in the cards or the flavor text on the cards, which is like little quotes at the bottom of some cards. So every year they'll release one of these sets and you buy booster packs, as we mentioned earlier, which come with 15 or 16 randomized cards and you play, you know, different formats with them. They've changed this up a lot uh, and released different supplemental products as the years have gone on. In addition, every new set technically has brand new cards, but they know that's unsustainable. So uh, what they do is they reprint older cards, either with new art or sometimes with the same art, but it's the exact same card just to give them some like flexibility because there are some abilities that are evergreen um, that'll like just always be relevant, I guess. However, there are some cards that they don't reprint. Yes. So for instance, like you were talking about Black Lotus. Black Lotus is something that's on the reserved list. 
So basically, like way back in the day, I was actually looking at a scan of a magazine from 1996. Um, I think it was The Duelist number 10, which is uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, their magazine about card games. So they had a reprint policy that they instated because basically, I think the sets were Chronicles and another one, it may have been fourth edition. They reprinted a bunch of old cards and basically people that were collectors kind of made a big fuss about it because it's like, hey, we had stuff that was worth something and then you just kind of, you know, reprinted it with a new border and like my money like what happened (laughs) um so they basically made a list of things that they would never reprint again it's sort of like an unofficial uneasy contract in a way but i i think that it's really nothing official like or like legal or anything like that nothing legally binding saying they cannot ever print these again correct because they have made like tweaks over time like but then usually people like make a stink so then they kind of step back so like for a while i was like oh like well maybe we could reprint them but like as foils so they're like shiny and like you know just once maybe and then people get upset and they you know step back whatever but yeah reserve list cards tend to be real expensive because hey they're never coming back like what's out there is out there like black lotus that's what's out there the number that's out there no more in all fairness i brought up all hallows eve earlier uh that is a card in the reserved list so (laughs) it's not just the novelty that makes it worth money but i like to think that that pumps the price (laughs) um and there are cards in the reserved list that are not worth a lot because you know who cares about some of the smaller ones now I am curious, is there criteria for what puts something on the reserve list or is it entirely popular feelings? I could be wrong about this. John did the actual research. I'm doing this from memory a little bit. I'm pretty sure it's just cards from certain sets. And the promise was basically with the implication that going forward, they are going to reprint cards because... Um, That's you know, that how was... they make money. <laughs> right, yeah. And also, you know, there's a limited design space. They talk about like whether or not they'll pigeonhole themselves, so they want to leave it open. And some of the cards, like, they probably wouldn't reprint realistically because Black Lotus, they're never going to reprint it because it's really powerful, too. And it breaks the game. Yeah. Like, Ancestral Recall, like, Time Walk, stuff like that is, like, it's not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Is is Time Walk the one that, like, gives you a free extra turn immediately after your turn? Or am I thinking of a different card? Yeah, that's right. Although I think technically, like, the leg again like with them kind of hammering out the game as they go along i think the original text is like target player loses next turn yeah it's a red so it's like they're done like they've lost we got them boys well they changed it because it was confusing text because what yeah 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 that's that's part of the reason those won't get reprinted the reason uh, like financially obviously the problem has just gotten worse over time like the cards that had held some kind of value and they've just kind of ballooned because you know there's a limited supply. They're never going to come back again. Their value is steady as opposed to other cards that are a lot more in flux because a card that is expensive today that is not on the reserved list could theoretically be reprinted in probably not next year's set, but eventually the supply could increase and it could go down in price, but not so for the reserve list. I'm kind of reminded of Ty Warner's policy of retiring Beanie Babies. <laughs> this was a countdown to when Ken would bring up Beanie Babies. Listen, it's gonna happen. <laughs> his, his favorite topic. It's gonna happen every fucking time. <laughs> That's funny because the official stance is they can't, they don't recognize the secondary market. It's like a weird paradox where the reserve list implicitly recognizes that there's a secondary market, by which I mean people buying and selling, you know, outside of Wizards of the Coast. Once you've bought a booster pack, you are then selling it to other people, and Wizards of the Coast sees none of that money from you selling it to other people. Right. I mean, they sort of, they they don't recognize it, but they do. Like you said, it's kind of paradoxical. Right. Like, even in that magazine article from 1996 that I read, I looked it up hoping that it would be kind of, like, really comprehensive, like, they're thinking. It's pretty simple. They basically say, like, hey, yeah, we understand that this is a collectible. These, you know, retain value to some extent, but this is still a game. Like, we still need to have people playing our game. And that message has been pretty consistent as far as, like, the reserve list goes. But as far as other stuff goes, like, they'll do reprints and kind of, like, tank prices of things. But they don't officially kind of come out and say that that's what they're doing. Increasingly so now, I think they're they're a lot more, like, bold about reprinting things or just, like... There are a lot of products now, and that comes from Hasbro purchasing Wizards of the Coast, and now they have a lot more... Basically, they've they've been releasing a lot more like limited edition collectible stuff, 
and in these like outside of the normal game environment releases like these are sets that are aimed at collectors and priced accordingly and limited time only in that space they have a lot more freedom to reprint cards that are traditionally more valuable on the secondary market that they don't acknowledge or just make stuff that's like real out there like magic's really like gone like like uh you know there's like uh there's like the grimlock card uh, like yep, you know you could like <laughs> so... you can give a my little pony the baseball bat that the bad guy from walking dead has and have them fight like godzilla like it's... Or, or norman reedus you can yeah, have norman, them fight norman, yeah, norman reedus yeah, norman reedus like man <laughs> Um, what can't you do by getting bought up by a mega group? <laughs> yeah. The uh, IPs are endless. I'm pretty sure Destroya is actually like a standard card in some red decks now. Like you oh, have to have it to win. What I, is, I don't know. Is it, someone please explain Destroya to me. It was from a crossover event with Godzilla. So Destroya. It's uh, Destroya, oh, right. by the way. Thank you. Because it's like an oxygen destroyer, right? Or yeah. something? Is that yeah, the monster? He, yeah, he like he's like an anti-tree Sure. I didn't make the, I'm pretty sure they say that in a isn't, film. <laughs> isn't that just a person? Yeah, but like imagine that like bigger than this year's tower. And it's like a horn that like shoots a like laser beam. Yes. That does like person things, I guess. Like destroy the environment. So it's a dinosaur with a laser strapped to its head. It's Godzilla, Ken. And yeah. you need it to win <laughs> Magic the Gathering. You don't need it to win, but like, forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, everything I know about this game I've learned from YouTube as it happens. Um, there are standard, like, deck sets that are more often used because they have kind of, like, higher percentages of winning. I think, like, I forgot all the names of it. All I remember is Red Deck Wins is yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, so basically, um... So Magic the Gathering has five different colors for cards that kind of determines what they do, in a way? Yeah. So, I mean, there are colorless things. Uh, like I said earlier, every role has, like, weird wrinkles. So, like, you know, certain, like, Eldritch Horrors might be colorless or, you know, artifacts are often colorless. Not always. Uh, but, yeah, there are five colors. So it is uh, black, blue, green, red, and white. Each one sort of has its own identity. So they're kind of associated with different traits. Like, you know, red is, like, passionate and fast and all this other stuff. So that sort of dictates, like, what cards do. As with everything else, the earlier sets don't really have it all hammered out, but for the most part, certain colors of cards do certain things. Like, red cards tend to be able to, like, do damage on the first turn, just, like, get them out quickly and start hitting. Yeah, like, a, a deck that's only red is usually designed to, like, run somebody over really quickly with a lot of fast damage uh, and, like, quick creatures. Whereas a blue deck is designed to just enrage everyone else playing against you. <laughs> yeah, blue's a fan favorite <laughs> um, <in> Magic. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, there's just some, like, a very, very specific frustration you get, like, when a spell is countered, like, you know, some, if a creature comes out and it dies, like, whatever, but, like, oh, if it gets countered, like, oh, I'm real mad, and then, you know, the other guy looks smug, and, like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of identity to the different colors and what they do, and that's a big part of it. And, in fact, that's one of the novelty reasons a card might be expensive, is if a card, like, is egregiously against that color identity, like, there are some cards that just were printed early on before they had it hammered out, and they do something that, you know, typically they wouldn't, so yeah, and they're there's, rarer. And there's a set for everything, so there's, like, a set where it's like, hey, what if the colors did, like, funky, cool, different stuff? But yeah, I mean, my favorite color is black. There's a lot of, like, powerful effects with drawbacks, so it's sort of like, you know, like, I'm gonna pay life to do stuff, and... It's a bit loosely themed around, like, the undead and, like, vampires and skeletons and what have you, so there's a lot of, like taking life to lose life or losing life to take life or like yep. i follow you're coming down with me kind of thing yeah yeah like you know like weird uh you know the the unholy strength we talked about earlier with the pentagram like that's a black card a lot of yeah halloween stuff all hallows eve is also a black card <laughs> but yeah you know spooky black cats skeletons bats those are all uh black as well as you know yes yeah, and, <laughs> and skeletons if you're interested in the game i would look up the color identity there are a lot of articles that the Magic the Gathering website has put out talking about it, and I think it is it is the most interesting thing about Magic design, designing the game. Yeah, it's definitely something I feel like players latch onto like, pretty quickly. Like, um, I mean, you talked about blue making people frustrated. Uh, that's a pretty common thing. And then there's people that love blue, and they love kind of, you know, taking their time drawing cards and making schemes within schemes within schemes. Or All milling. Of... What about milling? Love <laughs> that's blue another for one. mill. People get really frustrated getting yeah. their stuff milled. It's like, 
you know, it could have just gotten taken out another way, but people find it so very <laughs> enraging. Milling here refers to a card that forces your opponent to draw cards and discard them from their deck. Yeah, they, it never actually goes to their hand. It's just like directly from the top into the graveyard or discard pile. So it's sort of just like, you know, a fleeting moment of like, I could have had that. Yeah, <laughs> and look now at I all don't. The cards. Look at all the cards I could have played. And meanwhile, all of the blue spells counter other spells and all of the blue creatures can't be blocked by anything. So have fun. Stuff like that. <laughs> Earlier when I was talking about like competitiveness, so like the strength of a card will kind of affect the price, but also its legality in different formats. So that's like you know, as time goes on, there's more formats. So like standard is like, was it the last two set, two blocks or something? Yeah, it's um, just to push their new product, basically. Yeah, like modern is like a certain point forward in time. And then, you know, that can really affect the price of things. So like, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know what Destroya does, but if it's like a house in standard, it might be like pretty expensive for a while and then drop off when people stop using it because, you know, they're no longer limited to that pool of cards. Another big one is uh, Commander. So that's like a format that's really taken off recently. So a lot of old, like, legendary creatures. So th that's a creature you can only have one of. Have, like, skyrocketed in price, like, since Commander became a big thing. Like, you know, these random, you know, there's a guy named after a certain man from Russia long ago in Legends. And now that card is, like, hundreds of dollars. Uh, it's not very good. It just has a funky name and it's a legend. It's called, what, Rasputin? Dreamweaver, yeah. <laughs> a card which you happen to own, yes? Uh, true, yeah. What is, what is the valuation of that card? I, Please share. I don't. It's a lot of money. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it, frankly. It's, it's funny because that, that format that we were just talking about, Commander, that's taken off, uh, was originally invented kind of as a jokey format for people that wanted to play like a less serious game of Magic that used a lot of cards that they thought were fun but didn't have a place. You know, they're not competitive. They're the 50-cent cards that flood the market that, you know, no longer is that the case. Some of those 50-cent cards have gone up in price a lot. Yeah, yeah, like, um, you play, like, a coin flip deck. And there's, like, an old, <laughs> yes. like, coin flip enabler, Quark's uh, Thumb, right? Yeah. And that's, like... 30 bucks now or something yeah and it was a trash card prior to that because you know it was aimed at players that thought you know flipping coins would be fun but that's not a competitive thing you can't wait for a 50 50 chance on everything um but then they started supporting it more and it became like an actual thing so retroactively people you know started buying it up so to recap it's a deck where almost every card its effect is dependent on tossing a coin and calling heads or tails yeah, there are, there are only about 50 cards, I think, that reference flipping a coin, and very few of them are good. <laughs> yeah. But it's very fun. But it's, it's pretty good. Like I know. would do anything to see it in a tournament. Yeah, I would kill a man. <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> but yeah, Magic, I mean, it's a game that's been around for so long. Like, there's such a breadth of mechanics with stuff like that. Like, this coin flips. The new set is like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. So Hell there's yes. like rolling D20s and stuff. What is it? Like, super old card, like Chaos Orb. You like throw at the table from a and it's like yeah like what it, it has like a dis uh, from a foot higher and i there's like a legend of somebody winning a tournament because the rules don't say you can't like tear the card up and flip it from that height. Yeah, yeah it's like whatever it lands on you destroy so like that's like that was like the schoolyard like <laughs> Fuck like me, this really? dude like ripped up the card and like and then now th i think there's a it's joke a card like chaos yes. confetti chaos confetti you which do is that. in a joke set yeah yeah a card you can only play once yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I think I think there's similarly uh, from one of those earlier sets. It's like uh, the joke set. It's like Blacker Lotus, and it does the same thing, but you have to like tear it in half or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they I, used to I, do yeah. a lot more jokey stuff, um, but like relegate it to like these standalone sets that weren't as popular. And it seems like recently some of that stuff has kind of like been some of the mechanics that they explored in those joke sets have gone over to the actual magic. Hence why the coin flip mechanic is like actually supported now, because a joke mechanic became actually real. Or there's like a squirrel legend, you know? Because <laughs> the one of the never designers loves squirrels. Yeah, never thought I'd say that phrase, right? Like Listen, I am fully in support of whoever in charge of Magic the Gathering is on Team Squirrel. Yeah, I mean, good on him. Like <laughs> squirrels are pretty good. So All right, I have a weird open ended question. There's no correct answer. That's how open ended questions yeah. work. What? <laughs> 
Um, do you think that uh, Wizards of the Coast's refusal to engage with the secondary market is why it's more successful than other extremely large spanning collectibles? Because speaking specifically about Beanie Babies, which will always be the benchmark for a failure to retain value, it involved itself very heavily with the secondary market. Well, no, Ty Warner hated the secondary market for Beanie Babies and refused to acknowledge it. With Beanie Babies, they crashed because there got to be so many of them that, like, starting your collection, if you went from zero Beanie Babies to every available Beanie Baby, it would cost you, like, several thousand dollars. And everyone was like, you know what? Nope. So has, how has Wizards of the Coast with more products managed to get past that? I think a, um, a good reason is that it's a game and it has like an ongoing player base, right? Like it's still relevant. So cards still hold value even outside of, you know, these collectors. Most people that play Magic, I'm pretty sure, like just people playing kitchen table, they call it kitchen table Magic, not like an officially sanctioned, you know, tournament or an official event or an official format, just like people having fun with cards that they like. So I think just like the fact that it's still relevant because people play the game helps. Like, Beanie Babies are just like a one and done. You get the thing. Yeah, you don't need a complete set of every Magic the Gathering card ever to start. Right, yeah. We've been talking about like competitiveness. There are some cards that are, you know, absolutely better than other cards, but like Magic is such a complex game and there's still like there are still people that are very clever coming up with combinations using cards that have been recently printed with cards that are printed in the 90s to come up with new and interesting effects. Yeah, I mean and I mean that can also kind of bring it back to like prices and stuff like that can also affect things like I'm, I'm pretty sure recently there was some like 30 cent card like Chain of Smog or something and yes. like it suddenly comboed with something yep. that came out and now it's like $15 or whatever. But yeah, like I I think also with magic too, like there's such like a wide span of things to do in a way like you can kind of meet people where they're at like you know back in 1997 when I bought the pre-constructed deck I was just playing against friends with other pre-constructed decks like you know we weren't going to tournaments or anything it's just kind of like you know meet people where they are if you want to spend you know five thousand dollars on a modern deck and you know go to a tournament that's great but you can also just kind of throw some stuff together so we talked a little about how novelty can influence a card's value such as with your Rasputin card, because rah rah Rasputin has become a meme thanks to the internet. Is that why it's popular, or did it change? Does it does it combo with something now? It's my belief that it's more just that it's like a dude with a funky name. I mean, it's on the reserve list as well, I think. So it's like you know harder to come by, so that's gonna jack price a bit. Yeah, I don't know that that one strikes me as like it's an old legend, so it's gonna be worth something, but also like haha name, right? <laughs> there are some cards that are just like ridiculous like shaharazad is a famous example of a card i think it's on the reserve list too I'm not potentially sure. i'm not sure about that but it's a card that basically starts another game of magic within the game of magic that you're already playing <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, start a sub game and then the determinate like whoever wins that game determines the outcome of the card and like nobody wants to do that um, yeah, no but, shit. <laughs> but there but it's a very popular card um you know just because novelty it's banned in most formats like i don't think it sees any play anywhere because you're effectively doubling the plate yeah. right yeah. Also, if there's someone out there right now, like, like really angry because there's like a really obvious Rasputin Dreamweaver combo that I'm not seeing, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Contact us if you know a Rasputin Dreamweaver combo. Antiques Freaks Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about it. Oh, but yeah, the only other novelty card that I know of, or a card that I would consider novelty at least, would be Tiny Bones Trinket Thief which was released, I want to say, last year and kind of took Twitter by the storm. Yeah. Like only because of the extremely cute art yeah, it's... of a little skeleton thief <laughs> running away from a magical explosion. Yeah, I, I think that that's sort of like a combination of a lot of things because, like, it's a pretty good card. It's, I think, only in one set and it's got, like, a cute skeleton on it. So, like, yeah, obviously it's going to be, like, 30 bucks or whatever, right? Like, of course. That card is also in a, a set that is, there are different types of printings. So some products that they release are printed, limited print runs. They'll print a certain amount and that's it. The set that that card is from was one of those. Most standard, like their yearly releases, you know, they'll print them until it rotates out. So as long as people keep buying it, they'll keep ordering more and more. So how popular a set is determines like how much of that card is in the market. And then there are others that are like priced to demand, like their uh, new collectible stuff, where you have a certain time frame to order it in, and they'll print as many as people order. 
Oh, uh, another good one for like novelty is uh, I keep bringing up things on the reserved list. I think so. Again, I feel like a lot of these things are a combination of all those kind of elements I brought up. But another one's divine intervention, which is a very expensive enchantment that ends the game in a draw. So like, it literally doesn't win the game. <laughs> it literally cannot. But it's like a bunch of money. And like, you know, you're not playing it to win the game. So what's up? Until they print a card in the next set that declares as long as the spell is in effect, a draw ends in you winning. I, it, it could happen. I, honestly, there are. I think there are weirder cards. That, there is that one. What is the Jace card that has like the most absurd win condition I'd ever seen? So in the game, if you were to draw all of the cards in your deck and then try to draw another card and there's not one there, you lose the game because you run out of spells, your mind phrase but there's this one card that if that would happen you instead win the game yeah, so that would be laboratory maniac yeah and there's jace also one of the planeswalkers has that as a oh. static effect i believe wow is that the one you were talking about <laughs> yeah it's the one i was talking okay. about yeah i was thinking of the jace one because someone used it on me and i was like, furious <laughs> yeah, i think uh i think there's another one it's like near-death experience it's like if you start the game with or start your turn with one life you win um <laughs> I think uh, oh, decaphobia on the start of your turn or your opponent's turn or something, if they have 13 life, they lose. Because, like... Because <laughs> word. Oh, <laughs> um, my God. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch... There was, like, an old card, like, the cheese stands alone, and it's, like, if it's your only permanent, you win. But then they made it a real card. I can't remember. I think the card's called Baron Glory. <laughs> they, like, like, hey, kids, remember the cheese stands alone? He's back! <laughs> So what I'm getting from this is knowing or predicting a card's future value is kind of dependent on multiple factors all running at the time that you kind of have to be at least knowledgeable about the game, if not actively playing it to know. Because like, if you weren't on Twitter when Tiny Bones Trinket Thief dropped and following Magic the Gathering people, you wouldn't have known anyone cared about it beyond, oh, hey, cute skeleton. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's pretty tough to like sort of plan these things out. I mean, there are entire communities of people that do it. There's a subreddit for everything. But I'm pretty sure there's, like, a fairly big subreddit about just, like, doing magic but, like, stocks, basically. <laughs> that sounds... Which, yeah. Not to judge, but that sounds like a very bad idea. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to, like, blow up your spot, but didn't you do that with, I, like, a trash okay. common that you knew was going to become good? No, there was just one card that I bought a bunch of copies of because I knew it was going to be expensive later. So, okay. Okay, so if yeah, you, it's all right, all right. So, it was, like... From the beginning, once upon a time, how did this happen? So it wasn't that big of a deal. So, uh-huh. it was just that, like, okay, man. <laughs> all right, so there's this card called Grave Pact. And it's like a black enchantment, and it's like whenever you one of your creatures dies, like everyone else has to sacrifice a creature. So it's like my stuff's going down, so is yours. So in the uh, Greek mythology set, sorry, these super powerful wizards are called planeswalkers because they walk through planes in the multiverse, and there's like a plane for everything. Sure. Uh, so there's a Greek like mythology one, and then like there's basically an enchantment that does sort of the same thing that costs like a dollar, or like way back when the set came out. And I remember, I think at that point, Grave Pact was like 30 bucks or something. I was like, guys, this card does the same thing. Like, it's going to cost money or whatever. So I bought like, it wasn't a, a huge amount. I think I bought like 20 of them. <laughs> like, it was like 20 bucks. <laughs> a mere but, 20 cards. Listen, don't you judge me. A simple 20. Um, listen, I make a I lot did. of black decks, okay? Um, I'm using them. I'm using them. Um, and uh, I, I think the card's like 20 bucks now. So it's like, you know. I, I, that's the only time I've ever done it. Please, God forgive me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically, like, knowledge of the game, like, again, I, I would consider this, like, pretty dangerous because, like, at any point, Wizards of the Coast could just reprint it and then all of your, you know, hopes are dashed. Hasbro could get bought out by Disney, who decides there's more money oh, in reprinting oh it than God, in keeping their promise oh to their God, consumers. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Hasbro <laughs> could dive into the all-consuming void. Um, Dude, Apollo's listening. Stop it. <laughs> To be fair, most cards don't get astronomical value like Black Lotus. Like Black Lotus is a very rare exception. One of the biggest determining factors of whether a card is valuable and will hold its value is, you know, again, the reserved list. Even cards that are not good, you know, still hold a higher value than better cards now just because they're not coming into existence anymore. I think the most expensive, like, competitive cards now probably, like, wouldn't break 300. Like, even for, like, a foil 
sometimes they'll print cards that are shiny. Um, yeah. They're worth a little bit more. They're like slightly rarer, but like, yeah. So to back it up, probably nothing's going to get to the Black Lotus. You know, what was it? What did you say? Half a million? Half a million. Yeah. 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 Half so, a million human currency. Yes. $500,000. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so to Dan's point, like things are probably not going to go that like astronomical for like, you know, whatever funny Greek mythology card you pulled or whatever. So um, I shouldn't liquidate my assets and invest in magic the gathering so yeah this was gonna be my you next could. question <laughs> right but i shouldn't i'm not a financial <laughs> advisor but i wouldn't advise it yeah i was gonna so you guys are very knowledgeable about the game obviously we wouldn't be here magic the gathering as investment i have to ask this, ask this about every like fucking inane collectible because it happens every single goddamn time is people tell you to invest your money in this fucking thing and especially with Magic the Gathering, as you have helpfully shown us, people have whole communities dedicated to, like like you said, stock guessing about, yeah. like, is it bad? I mean, I'm sure that it works for some people, you know, I'm sure that, like, people that have been playing for their whole lives or whatever, and they're just like, oh man, like, this thing is totally undervalued, I'm gonna buy, like, 200 copies of it. Like, that happens, and I'm sure it works out for people. And I'm pretty sure, like, with the pandemic, there was, like, a huge, like, buy-up, and, like, a bunch of prices went up and all that other stuff, so I'm sure it's, like, worked for some people. I mean, I wouldn't do it, I'd probably, like, buy, like, a mutual fund or something, but, like, (laughs) it could work. For somebody that's not, that doesn't play the game, like without like knowledge, intimate knowledge of the game, speculating on that is probably going to lose you money because you're following the advice of somebody else who is speculating. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, all joking aside, I wouldn't personally. Okay. Except Um, for Dictative Erebos. But but, I mean, if you are playing the game, depending on what you want to do, like how you want to play, like. There are certain things that will be an investment depending on how you want to engage with the game. Yeah, I mean, in in general, like, probably, like, collections will go up in value. Like, I, I mean, just, like, stuff you have. Like, I, I know a guy who's basically paid for, like, classes for his master's. Just, like, gonna go down to the card store and, like, sell some old stuff. But, I mean, like, you know, he's been playing the game forever. Like I said, I started in 1997, basically. Yeah, so it's... It's not that he went to Target yesterday, bought a booster pack, and then flipped it on eBay to pay for a master's class. Correct. Yeah. Like, you could open a booster and get lucky. Like, oh my god, it's the, you know, hollow foil, one in a thousand, you know, special art, like, whatever. But, like, it's probably not going to happen. I uh, mean, if you think that's fun, go ahead and do it. Absolutely. But if <laughs> but if, you're, if your intent is to go after a specific card, the secondary market exists for that reason. Buy singles. It's going to be cheaper in the long run if you want to target exactly what you want. Yeah. It's also one of those things where, like, their entire stores, like... Like in like companies dedicated to kind of you know making money off of cards and stuff so it's like there's bigger fish out there watch out <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to get you guys to like clarify because someone took me up on the fact that i always say that like art is the only collectible worth investing in oh and and someone was like there's art on it magic cards and now what and i was like fuck <laughs> you got me I mean, I will say the art is what got me interested in Magic the Gathering in the first place because there is a particular artist whose cards I like to collect very much. That artist being Rebecca Gway because she rivals Arthur Rackham in her finesse with watercolors and figure and form. But I also haven't really noticed those cards spiking in value just because they're pretty. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. Tiny Bones Trinket Thief, on the other hand, invest. Yeah, really stable. <laughs> you can get one for under $30. It has not changed. Don't, don't yeah. invest don't in collectibles. Sell your house, don't, buy oh, Tiny no. Bones. No. <laughs> I we're betraying the core, like my core message of the whole fucking podcast. Liquidate assets. <laughs> have them all stolen by Tiny Bones. <laughs> I think it just comes back to the advice we give every single fucking time, which is... If you don't enjoy the thing, don't sink money into collecting the thing, hoping to flip it for bigger cash. Yeah. I mean, what about you guys? What is your... If someone was listening to this and they were like, this sounds fucking dope as hell, I want in. What are your advice is... What is your advice? Are you talking about like getting into magic? Yeah, or? how to get... Because it is, it, it is expansive and there's a lot to learn about it. So like, what would you guys recommend to someone getting started? How to start? Ooh, for how to start, again, magic is an incredibly complex game. So the best place to start probably be YouTube. Just look up different formats. Like there are a couple of, um, I think the Command Zone, if you want to play Commander, it's a really palatable way to see what a game of Commander looks like. The Tolarian Community College is another educational channel that'll explain, you know, what products are worth buying and how to get into certain formats cheaply. They release beginner products too, just buying any one of those. 
they release one every year with every new set, basically. There's like a entry to the series product. If you're going in as like a collector, just to like have, you know, if cards fall into your lap, you know, look on Craigslist for people getting rid of like trading cards and maybe you'll get lucky. Yeah. You could get lucky like D and have a friend who decides to just spontaneously quit the game after 10 plus years of collecting and just hands you a cooler full of magic cards. I feel like I should contact him about like, hey, some of these rose in price, do you want them back? Yeah, so that's, that's actually kind of a good point. Like one thing, like I feel like I've seen this like too many times over the course of my life. Like if you have a bunch of old magic cards, have somebody who knows what they are look at them because I've seen people just like, oh, hey, like, what's this? And it's like, uh, like a $500 thing from, you know, 1995 or whatever. Like, watch out. You know what I mean? So just, yeah. <laughs> as far as getting into it, I would honestly say uh, Magic the Gathering Arena. Uh, you can download it for free. And I think it has a tutorial and it's all digital. So you don't have to worry about like money dollars or anything. Um, I think you can buy like in-game currency or something, but like, bah, if you just want to learn, like figure it out, I think it's like really good, honestly. That's how I learned. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, uh, no investment way to see if this is something you want to continue with. Yeah. And they've made it really easy to like, if you want to build a deck, there are like wild cards that you can spend to get the cards that you need. Like there are still packs in the game. That's how they make the money in the game, but they've done a good job of making it easier for you to do it for free. Yeah, you play a certain number of games each day, you earn pretend currency. Yeah, it's got like uh, dailies, as they say, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Like on Neopets. Just or like Flight Neopets. Rising. <laughs> or our new favorite, Dapper Folk. Don't talk to me about Dapper Folk. I've heard good things. Would you recommend it? <laughs> Wait, wait, you have to, well, you have to give out your, now you have to give out your screen names so people can <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think trapped. I'm going to, you're trapped. I don't think I'm going to Dapperbroke Dox myself on my Antiques podcast, no. <laughs> Doxervoke. Dapper Dox. <laughs> Dapper Dox. I'll dox myself on Dapper Vogue. Don't. Do you know, what's my screen name? Okay, so. <laughs> Gotta remember first. <laughs> yeah. You play it more than I do. <laughs> yeah, so you're. I'm pretty Congratulations, sure. you played yourself. I'm pretty you sure I'm just. If you want to sign hey, up using me. Which of the two of us edits the podcast? Ah, oh, goddamn, he's going to edit this right the fuck out, and I'm not going to get any of those sweet, sweet, <laughs> sweet referral points. You have to leave in the part where I'm pissed about you editing. Of course. <laughs> so Magic the Gathering. Yeah, good game. I love it. So if you're in Antiques, and you come across some Magic the Gathering cards, what do you do? All right, well, again... First thing to do would probably be try and get somebody that you know that plays the game to take a quick look at the cards. Because again, most cards are not going to be worth very much. But if there are any cards that are worth, you know, even something above $5, you want to just get them out of whatever conditions they're probably in. If they're in a binder, in like sleeves, away from moisture, just like any other cards. Yeah, condition matters. Like I said before, if it's something real fancy, you could, you know, have it graded or whatever. But again, step one. Find a nerd. Have them help you. <laughs> uh, or, no, there are even, even without that, there are apps and websites. You can just type in the name of the card and MTG or Magic the Gathering, and it'll probably come up. And most likely the first link will be a store selling it. So you can, you know, just quickly get a price that way. Actually, uh, Delver Lens made that even easier. Because yes. you can use a camera to scan the card and it'll actually flash the highest recently sold price. Oh, damn. Oh, dope. Using, I think, TCG Trader? Yeah, there are a couple other. I think if you use, there are some storefronts that also have that card scanning technology, like TCG Player. If you download their app, they have that same scanning technology to encourage you to use their store. Delver Lens is great, too. I think it just costs a subscription if you're scanning more than 100 cards, but if you just do it in batches, that's a free tool I would recommend for sure. If you're an antiques dealer or someone who doesn't know anything about and you're selling these, I do remember you getting into it with a guy at a flea market who had a bucket of like really damaged cards. Yeah, I guess I was I was trying to buy it for cheap, to be fair. Like it was a bucket of cards and I was offering twenty dollars, but it was an open air market and they'd clearly been there through a couple of moist, damp days. And after going back and forth with this uh, person, I don't remember about like the price, they refused to call the person that owned the lot to negotiate. So I was like, Well, at least please like get them somewhere where they're not gonna like rot. Because, like, they're just going to become compost quickly. Um, they are mere cardboard. And for the record, a bucket of cards is not some, like, weird unit of measurement I'm not aware of. No, like, it was literally it was a bucket, literally like a, a, bucket. a um, like a rubber made, yeah. Yeah, like a oh. plastic bucket you'd use to mop the floor, except this time you're mopping up Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. How dreadful. <laughs> Start gathering. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, like, kind of the opposite of what I usually say, but it's important to remember that 
curation is a service that increases value. And if you haven't provided it, you're going to have to lower your price. So if you haven't already gone through the magic cards and ensure that they're all properly stored away and like sorted out the rare ones from the not so rare ones. Yeah. Then you're better off kind of taking what you can get. Okay. Because that's, that's a mistake I see a lot of people who aren't familiar, especially with cards do, where they'll just have like a big cardboard box, you can't look through it, they won't let you, and the price is insane. You have to drop the price because that person is going to be doing the work of curating the collection. So either you do it or you be more realistic about the price, let someone else do it. Or as I like to call it, make it someone else's headache. Especially there are a lot of just so many businesses that are dedicated to making that process like very painless and they pretty much dictate the prices. So if you're trying to compete with them, you'll probably want to, you know, undercut just because their level of grading and care and stuff is just more streamlined, I guess. It's a lot of work to sort Magic the Gathering cards. If you're doing it yourself, like I, I, I'm pretty obsessive about organizing them and it's, it's really difficult to find a system that works and keeps your cards like in good condition. Now, just for fun, before we sign off, what's your favorite card and why? All right. My favorite card is, I think it's from Exodus, is called Hatred. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, three and two black mana for an instant. So you can cast it whenever you have priority. And it is pay X life. Target creature gets uh, basically plus X power until end of turn. So you sort of pay your own life force to like make a dude just like whap somebody real hard. And, uh, and you know, it's like kind of a fun message. Like, you know, hatred is uh, very dangerous and destroys us both. Oh, Daniel? It's probably Crack's Thumb. It's not like an especially fun answer because we mentioned it earlier, but it's probably responsible for the most amount of fun that I've had playing Magic. It's just a card that when you would flip a coin, instead you flip two, and you get to choose which one you keep. And it's a grizzled-looking goblin's thumb desiccated like a lucky charm. Not the cereal, like a a rabbit's foot. (laughs) Although both are desiccated. Both are desiccated, They are desiccated, yeah. True. Could be either. I take it back. Oh, I get to say? Yeah. Oh, You're you're um, also on the podcast, my dude. All my favorite cards are art-based. There is, if you guys could help me remember, the cat dragon card. Oh, yeah. I actually really like that one because it, like, spawns endless dragon tokens. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I don't know the name of it. It's like Namiya, Mother of Dragons. Yeah, something similar to that. But yeah, are you talking about, like, the cat dragon token? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the the one that spawns the tokens is is basically just if, like, a black panther had big dragon wings. So I love that, and Grim Strider is an extremely bad card, but I'm in love with the art, so it's my favorite. What's your favorite? Well, until very recently, it was Gaia's Balance, just because I think it's the best example of Rebecca Gway's art. Just this beautiful figure with flowing silks and like a beautifully painted background. Lovely, good stuff. And then Tiny Bones Trinket Thief came into my life, <laughs> and he has now both my phone background and my desktop wallpaper, so I guess it's Tiny Bones Trinket Thief. Has, now. He, has he stolen your heart? Oh my god. Oh shit. <laughs> Shit. So remember everyone, invest in tiny bones. No! Invest in tiny bones. His sell everything you own. Buy tiny bones. His value is stable. No matter what happens, Ken will buy it. And the best way to store it is in the arms of a princess Diana T. Beanie Baby. Baby. I have like six. Because yeah. as a joke, I buy them, like, on-site. Whenever you see them at Savers for, like, a dollar, because there's still that one lunatic on eBay trying to sell them for six grand. <laughs> it's really bad. It's not your worst habit. <laughs> no. You could be buying heroin. I feel like this is better. <laughs> Fair enough. Could be buying Dictative Erebos in batches of time. <laughs> that only happened once. <laughs> Actually, it happened 20 times, right? (laughs) I use that card. It's good. I mean, I will say this is more of a statement than a question, but I do find it really interesting. This is one of the very, 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 very few collectibles I've encountered in my entire career that the value is still attached to usefulness. There's a utility. That's exciting. A utility for a game, yes, but a utility nonetheless. Yeah, It's a thing you can do instead of like, Look at them. What do you do with a Funko Pop? You look at it. I don't want to do that. You look at it and you remember, my god, this is the only figure of Black Phillip I can ever own in any format. I had to buy it. I had no other option. Where else am I going to find the Vivitch merch? 
I love how your like singular like job on this podcast is to continually out me with the fact that I own more than one Funko Pop for everything that Steve said about them. In fairness, I bought you the Black Phillips, so yeah, that that one's on me. Just got to get you a Jace Funko Pop from oh Magic God. the Gathering. Oh my God! God. Fucking damn it! Uh... God. <laughs> Not as collectible as the cards, I don't think. Well. I don't know. <laughs> Has anyone divorced over Magic the Gathering cards? Because I think Absolutely. Funko Pops might have one leg up on them. You think? Sell your house, buy Jace Funko Pops. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know anyone who's divorced over Magic Gathering? Or come close? Would you reveal that on a podcast? You don't have to say their name. <laughs> Personally, no, but I imagine there must be. Uh, no. I've not heard any public, like, there's no sad picture of a couple separating their beanie babies in court. Uh, or for magic. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't Google Magic the Gathering divorce and get the most entertaining Reddit post you'll ever read in your life, unlike Funko Pops. <laughs> but like <sighs> I don't know. I'm sure there's been some, you know, family strife over magic before. It's it's had to happen. Like some of the old stuff is worth too much. Final thoughts on magic? It's good. I love it. You should try it if you haven't. New Patreon tier, I'll teach you magic. <laughs> Just kidding. What would that be? <laughs> Someone's going to message us saying, like, yeah. when are you guys going to be implementing that? And then you you will be an employee. Fucking subcontracting out our Patreon reward tiers. What would that cost? Like, was that like $100? It'd have to be high. That's like a lot of time. I mean, if you're asking me to teach you to play Magic the Gathering, it would just be me sending you a single email telling you to download Magic the Gathering or meet your next <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret, is that, like, every time you pay it, John just gets on your Discord, and he's, like, he just sends you the link to Arena, and he's like, good luck. He's got all a right. refer- referral link. Yeah. All right, uh, so uh, open the tutorial. <laughs> all right, you're good. See you later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Magic's good. I, uh, you know, for all the, you know, I gripe about the secondary market a lot and, like, card prices, like, I, it kind of makes me upset that sometimes things are inaccessible to people, but um, it's because I love Magic. I think people should play it or try it. It's great. Like I said, I mean, I started as a kid. I feel like, you know, I learned so many cool words from Magic cards. <laughs> like, you know, it's a good way to kind of think stuff out. Like, it's a good game. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely echo what John said. Uh, it's a really fun game. It's uh, probably the game that I've sunk the most hours into, maybe. But again, there's a lot for everyone in there. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, if you're just getting into the game to start, it probably won't affect you too much. So I wouldn't worry too much about you know cards being out of your price range. Just go out there and look at the cards that you like and make a deck out of them and have fun. Right up. If you'd like to recommend an episode topic or just say hello, you can contact us at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com or through our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to get yourself some fine vintage goods or some merch with the podcast logo on it, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. And if you would like to listen to bonus content such as deleted scenes or our chapter-by-chapter reading of the Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout-out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!